Welcome to the Clovercrest Baptist Church podcast. For more information about Clovercrest Baptist Church, go to clovercrest.com.au. Amen. Thanks, Dubsy. Well, let me ask you, have you ever witnessed a transformation? Have you ever experienced a change where something is so undeniably different from what it was to what it is now? Have you ever experienced a true before and after? Back when I was a uni student, I discovered that I had a love for home renovation shows. Does anyone else love those TV shows? They take an old house and they make it brand new again. One afternoon, I was flipping the channels when I probably should have been doing my uni work, but that's besides the point. And um, I was flipping the channels and I found this TV show called Fixer Upper and it really grabbed my attention. Uh, It's this couple, Chip and Joanna Gaines, and their job is to take old, dilapidated houses that couples or families in Texas buy and then completely flip them. And the transformation is incredible. We've got some photos on the screen just of one example. That house looks completely different on the exterior. And then we've got some on the inside as well. We'll keep flipping through just such a change and transformation in the space. And I was just always amazed that in 30 minutes in TV time, obviously a lot more time in real time, but in 30 minutes, I could witness this incredible transformation of a before and after. Well, church, we are moving into the second part of our series in Romans. We're coming from restored belief and going into restored living. You see, Chip and Joanna, their job was to restore the inside of these houses, but it wasn't just so that those houses were nice to look at. The goal was for people to live in them. The goal was for people to experience the restoration, to enjoy the restoration that had occurred and to live differently. And that is the whole idea behind this uh, shift in our series on Romans from restored belief to restored living. You see, the first 11 chapters of Romans are all about this new belief system, all about the story of how Jesus's life, death and resurrection can restore us. That believing in Jesus in our Lord and sa- as our Lord and Saviour, as the solution to the problem of sin and separation from God, we can be restored. So then what is the rest of Romans about? Well, really, it's this roadmap for how to live differently. Because of the first 11 chapters, how do we live differently? Where to be like those houses, where to be restored and then to live that out. And Paul makes this really clear at the very beginning of Romans 12. And today we're going to look at the first eight verses. So I'd love you to grab your Bibles, uh, whether you've got them physically or on your phone, online, wherever you are, grab your Bibles out with me. We're going to start in Romans 12, verse 1 to 8, and let's find that together. It's also going to be up on the screen uh, for those who need it there. Let's read together Romans 12, 1 to 8. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. 
For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Well, as has been the case with all of our Romans series so far, there is so much in this chunk of Scripture that we could sink into today. I could preach all day about just verse 1. But we're not going to do that. Today, I really feel like God wants to draw our attention to the theme of humility, restored humility. Paul really hits us between the eyes with it uh, in verse 3. And I'm going to read the Amplified Version. He says, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself and of his importance and ability than he ought to think. Basically, be humble. (laughs) Don't think too much of yourself. And while the idea of humility is so obvious in this one verse, it is one of the threads that Paul has weaved all the way through this portion of Scripture. It's this idea that as we are restored and transformed by Jesus, we will live with restored humility. We'll live with humble hearts, humbling ourselves before God and humbling ourselves before others. And in this first part of Romans 12, Paul urges us to live restored lives of humility in three ways. And the first is this, to sacrifice our whole lives in worship. If you're taking notes, I'd love you to write that down, to sacrifice our whole lives in worship. Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Therefore, That's the linking word. Therefore, because of the first 11 chapters of Romans, here's what you need to do. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, think of the many mercies that God displayed in those first 11 chapters of Romans. One obvious one is that in Romans 5, it says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, we are to respond by sacrificing our lives in worship. Author and theologian Tim Keller says, you've been saved through a dying sacrifice, so you are free to be a living sacrifice. Paul urges us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. And Paul uses the word body here on purpose. He's saying we need to go further than just our spiritual lives. We need to give our whole physical lives to God in worship. That in everything we do, we will worship God. We will honour Him. We will look to Him for guidance. Whether we're at work, at home, at uni, at school, with our friends, whether we're eating, sleeping, exercises, whatever we do, our whole lives will be a sacrifice of God to God in worship. That is the response that we are called to in response to the mercies that God's shown us. And this response, offering our whole lives to God, takes massive humility. Because sacrificing our lives to God requires us to say that God's way is more important than my way. God's way is more important than my way. It's not just enough to say, wow, thank you, Jesus, so much for saving me. I really appreciate that. And then to keep moving through life with tunnel vision on our own achievements, our own desires, our own priorities. We need to have this humble response 
to say, God, your way is more important than my way. I offer myself to you in worship. Because when we truly understand the grace and mercy of what God has done for us and the way this changes our lives, then we will willingly offer our lives as a response. It's an obedient response as a result of what God is doing and has done for each of us. So let me ask you today, have you offered yourself as a living sacrifice? Do you worship God with your time, with your finances, with your resources? Do you worship Him in His creation? Do you worship Him in your relationships? The message translation says to take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Have you placed your life before God as an offering? Or maybe you have done that once, but over time it's become segmented. God only gets some parts of your life. Well, today I believe we have an opportunity to say, God, thank you for your mercies. I humble myself before you and I offer you my whole life. I will worship you with everything that I am and everything that I have. This is Paul's first instruction for us in the teaching about restored humility. In response to the mercies we have received, we are to humbly sacrifice our whole lives to God. And the second is this. We need to surrender to the renewal of our minds. We need to surrender to the renewal of our minds. Romans 12, 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. God calls us to humble ourselves and to allow him to show us where our minds are out of alignment with him, to renew and transform that so that we can live in alignment with his will for our lives. Because the reality is we never arrive when it comes to being restored. Like Dubsy said, it's a process. There is an opportunity for us to have a daily practice of inviting God to renew our minds. A life with Jesus is one where we are constantly transformed inwardly so that we can be different outwardly. You know, humility absolutely goes against the pattern of this world. Humility absolutely goes against the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is individualism, being self-focused, eye-focused. It's all about me and what I need, being self-protective, looking after yourself first. The pattern of this world is one where we're told to gain our self-worth by putting ourselves up, but by doing that, we need to put other people down. The pattern of this world is one where we're told to build up pride based on our achievements and how well we can succeed. Humility goes against the pattern of this world. Rick Warren's definition of humility is this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. Humility is thinking more of others. And so if we recognise the pattern of this world is so different to humility, we need God to renew our thinking. And humility actually comes from a strong foundation of knowing who we are so that we don't feel like we need to build ourselves up with other things. 
And as we invite God to renew our minds with truth about who we are, we will have a solid foundation of self-worth so that we don't have to spend lots of time and energy thinking about ourselves. We know who we are. And that foundation allows us to have a posture of humility. It's not thinking less of ourselves, just thinking of ourselves less. So let me ask you now, what do you believe about yourself? If we're going to say no to the pattern of this world and have a foundation of humility, we need to actually hear and engage with what God wants us to believe instead. Because remember, restored living comes from restored belief. So how do we do that? Well, it's by reading his word and inviting the Holy Spirit to transform our minds. The scriptures are filled with truth about our identity. From the first 11 chapters alone, there is so much we can stand on. Romans 3 says we are justified and redeemed by Jesus. Romans 6 says we are no longer slaves to sin. Romans 8 says we are not condemned. We are children of God. We are more than conquerors. Nothing can separate us from His love. So do you believe these truths? Have you allowed them to solidify in your mind? And if you believe them, are you experiencing the therefore? Are these beliefs changing the way that you live? Let me ask you, do you believe in these truths or in some ways do you notice yourself conforming to a pattern of this world? Have you been trying to find your self-worth from the world around you? Have you been self-focused and slipping into that individualism mindset? Have you been living from a place of pride where your achievements define you? There is an opportunity for us today and in the days to come to invite God, to transform and renew our minds, to restore our true identity and to restore our humility so we can live in alignment with his plans and purposes for our lives. What a witness it would be to others in our world of our restored belief if we were to go against the grain of secular culture and to live this life of restored humility. What if at work or school or uni, we were to highlight other people's successes rather than our own, to cheer someone else on? What if with our generosity, what if we were humbly, humble, generous people? What if we gave without the expectation of receiving anything back? Physical gift or words of praise? What if we were humble with our finances? What if we were to wisely trust God with our finances in this crazy time rather than to act out of fear? What if we were humble advocates? What if we chose to not use our voice just for ourselves, but for the voiceless instead? What if we were humble when we played sport? What if we gave someone else the opportunity to shine? A restored life of humble thinking can be a powerful witness that can point others to Jesus. So we need to invite God through the power of His Holy Spirit to transform our minds, to restore our self-worth and to restore our humility so we can live out His will for our lives. That's the second instruction Paul gives us. And the third is this, we are to serve God's church. 
We are to humbly serve his church as one part of the whole body. And this is what Paul unpacks in verses 3 to 8. In verse 3, he says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Basically, we need to right-size our own view of ourselves. We cannot do it all. In verses 4 to 8, he continues, For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So just like the parts of the physical body, we need each other and we all have a role to play. Every part of our physical body has its own role and its own function. And as we serve God's church, we can't do it all ourselves. We need to be in community because we all have different gifts. Basically, Paul's saying... Don't be a lone ranger. You need the church and the church needs you. Over the last few years, I have been on many a youth camp and that has happened through our ministry here at Clovey, through Echo Youth and also uh, through some statewide ministry with the Baptist churches on our Easter camps. And I've been in different roles of leadership on these camps over a number of years. And I tell you what, the one thing that I learned very, very quickly is that we need each other. No one could run that camp alone. I got to serve with a bunch of awesome people who have so many different gifts. There were people who had gifts in organisation and admin. God bless them. There were people who had gifts in bringing the fun. People who were gifted in coming up with these insane games that people could play, these wonderful activities that brought life and energy into the experience. There were people who were gifted in hospitality and making sure that we were serving our meals and serving our youth well. There were people who were gifted in teaching and preaching. There were people who were gifted in creativity and different ways we could tell stories and worship God together. There were people who were gifted in caring and noticing the one. It was a true mix of practical and spiritual gifts. And it would have been absolutely impossible for one person to do it alone. Every part needed each other. We cannot serve God's kingdom we cannot build God's church alone. We need the church and the church needs us. We need the church and the church needs us. Paul says, if you have a gift, use it and use it well. And you might have more than one gift or you might receive different gifts in new seasons of your life. Whatever the case, the truth is this. We are called to humbly serve God's church as one part of the whole body. So let me ask you today, how are you humbly serving God's church? How is God calling you to participate as one part of the body? And sometimes when it comes to figuring out how we can serve God's church, sometimes we just have to give something a go to see if it's our gifting. And 
As Dubsy mentioned earlier, we love highlighting Join Team Clovey. There are so many options for you to serve, for you to try something new. And so I just want to remind you, if that's something you want to explore, there's a next step you can take. You can chat to our team at Next Steps in the Foyer. You can head to the Serve page on our website. We would love to have you come and serve and explore what your gifts might be. So to live restored lives of humility, Paul instructs us to sacrifice our whole lives in worship, surrender to the renewal of our minds and serve God's church. And as we are restored and transformed daily by our belief in Jesus, we will live with humble hearts, humbling ourselves before God and humbling ourselves before others. As I was praying and preparing for this sermon, I just started to hear the lyrics of a song. And really the song is more of a prayer kind of a prayer that you sing. And the lyrics in the chorus are, make my whole life your upper room. And those were the words just running through my head, running through my head. So I decided to look into it. You might not have heard much about the upper room before, or maybe you remember reading about it in different parts of the Bible. It's a room that's usually built on the roof of a house. And it was such a significant place for the early church. And that significance was absolutely rooted in Old Testament Jewish practice, where the upper room was a place of retreat and prayer, where people would go to spend time with God. But the significance of the upper room for the church, I would say, was really cemented by Jesus' final days on earth with the Last Supper, which we honour and remember with communion, which we've already done today. And then again, when he appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, and then it really was the first location of the birth of the early church is where they gathered. It's where they experienced Pentecost, the receiving of the Holy Spirit. You know, Jesus, the Son of God, had immense power. He had spiritual power to perform miracles and healings. He had a direct line of connection with God. And you know, he also had social power. He had authority. He was a teacher. He was a rabbi. He was a leader. And yet... He was the king of humility, of serving others and of living a restored life. In the upper room, we notice that Jesus served. He served his friends. He even served Judas, who he knew was about to become his enemy. And so we just see Beautiful examples of Jesus doing this in the upper room. You know, Jesus served people everywhere. I'm not saying it just happened in the upper room, but we just see some incredible illustrations of that during the Passover festival. And we read in the Gospels in Matthew, Mark and Luke, we read that Jesus broke bread for his disciples as they shared the meal. He passed around the cup. He served them while also teaching them to remember his loving, dying sacrifice that was about to come. And he did that through instating communion, which we've already uh, taken part in today. And then in John, we read that in the upper room, Jesus went one step further with humble service. He decided to wash his disciples' feet before the Passover meal. And you know, it was custom for the feet to be washed before the meal because they wore sandals, they walked around on dirty roads all day, and then often the tables were really low, so kind of feet were like in the area. You couldn't really just tuck them under the table and ignore them. It was a bit gross. It was a pretty yucky job. And so that meant it was the job of the lowest ranking servant to clean the feet of the people who were about to partake in the meal. 
But Jesus saw an opportunity to perform the ultimate act of humility. He washed His disciples' feet one by one. He grabbed a rag and a basin and He walked around the table and washed their feet. He wanted to show love and sacrifice to His disciples and to also model what it looks like to humbly serve. We read in John 13, 13 to 15, He says, You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. We are to be humble like Jesus. And what does it look like to be humble like Jesus? What does it look like to follow Jesus' example of mutual humble service and wash each other's feet? I encourage you to think about that now. In your context, what does it look like to take that ultimate act of humility, to wash the feet of our neighbours, our workmates, our relatives? And you know, after Jesus died and rose again and ascended to heaven, the early church continued to gather in the upper room. And as they gathered and received the Holy Spirit, we read that they experienced transformation and restoration. Their thinking was changed and then they went out into the world. And I would imagine that for some people of the early church, those gatherings in the upper room is where they discovered their gifts that they then used to humbly serve God's church. So today, I invite us to lean into this metaphor for a life of humility, a restored life, a life that is His upper room. A life where the truth of Romans 1 to 11, that restored belief is outworked. A life of humility, living as Jesus and the early church did in the upper room. Humbly offering our whole lives to God, surrendering our lives and inviting Him to change our thinking on a daily basis. To do what they did in the upper room, to depend on the presence of God, to lay aside our own agenda and to gather in community, to humbly ask God to show us our gifts, to discover them and then use them for His glory. A life of the upper room, a life of worshipping Him with our everything. And I challenge us today to take on this humble posture to say, Lord, make my whole life your upper room. I challenge us to say yes to being a living sacrifice, to surrender to the renewal of our minds and to serve God's church, to make the upper room our everyday experience. And so I invite you to reflect now, just within yourself, does my life look like the upper room. Each day do I remember Jesus' dying sacrifice. His body broken and blood poured out for me. Do I accept His gift of love, grace and mercy and do I respond by laying my life down in worship? Do I have a daily practice where I surrender my mind to the transforming power of God through His Word and His Holy Spirit? Do I invite the Spirit to flow through me, to renew my thinking each day? 
Am I living in community or am I a lone ranger? Am I gathering with others like the early church did? Am I willing to learn what humble service looks like so I can be serving God's church and the world around me using the gifts He has given me? This is a truly humble posture and prayer. Make my whole life your upper room. A restored life of humility is one where we say, Jesus, I lay down my own plans for my life. Would you make my whole life your upper room? And so today, I wanted to create the opportunity for us to lean into that prayer through that song that the Spirit prompted me with. Kimmy's going to sing it over us. The lyrics are going to be up on the screen.